July 10th, 2022. I'd like to talk with you and learn together with you this morning the issue of learning Torah from an impure source. And I refer to that in the broader sense uh, because it's less, going, it's less of a halakha class, although halakha will emerge, and more a development of halakha class. Uh, because specifically what I'd like to focus on is, and I've done, we've discussed in this context and other classes in the past, the way that Torah and Halakha more specifically has this development in all sorts of different directions, but most particularly, of course, Torah went from being an absolute Torah shibichtav to one which had an oral tradition to a juncture in time during which it was appropriate to translate and to transform that oral Torah, the Torah Shba'alpeh, into something that was written down. And in so doing, much as in any other tradition, imagine a rabbi who gives sermons, a president who speaks, and then they put it into words on paper. There's always things that change once you go from the oral tradition, the oral word, to the written word. So as a result, for example, we've discussed in this sort of context in the past, the issue of if I open up to the book of an author, and this goes outside of the Torah realm, but certainly within the Halakha realm as well. And I read their words, and I have one interpretation to their words, and you have another one. And each of us is able to prove and to stand strongly with our opinion. And then for argument's sake, we go to the author. So you'd say, of course, if the author now is the arbiter, deals with this, gives us his position, her position on this matter, that's what will follow. Is it so? Is there something that becomes a new reality when words are put onto paper, which means that once it becomes codified, once it becomes the text of that individual, as opposed to their words, there's a new reality. We've discussed it in the context of where Harambam has words in his Mishneh Torah, and he was asked about it later on, and we discovered it perhaps at a later point, how he explains his own words on that sort of matter. Famously, Harambam's words at the beginning of Hilchot Ishut with regards to Kesef Kiddushin. How do we now determine what he wrote in his book and what he quote-unquote maintained himself? It's a fascinating conversation and discussion and issue to be dealt with, which we have. I want to, from that vantage point, attack this issue, and you'll understand, hopefully, in, uh, in short time why I say so. But let's specifically now get to the narrow issue. The narrow issue is begins with a Gemara in Masechet Hagiga and Daftet Vav Amudbet. The Gemara over here is dealing with specifically uh, one of the great uh, Tanaim, the great Tana Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, who was a student at a juncture of Rabbi Akiva, but also received a lot of Torah, the Gemara tells us, from an individual whose name was Elisha ben Avuya, Elisha ben Avuya, otherwise known as Aher, the other one. Elisha ben Avuya, whose name is recorded as an opinion in Masechet Avot, who was a part of the rabbinic elite of the time period of the Mishnah, going back some 2,000 years. But nonetheless, the Gemara describes in graphic detail how he went off the path of not only traditional Judaism, but perhaps, furthermore, belief in God. That's Elisha ben Avuyah, Rabbi Meir, nonetheless maintained and stood steadfast by his mentor side in receiving Torah from Elisha ben Avuyah. So the Gemara here in the first line, source number one, says, Rabbi Meir, gamar Torah mipumeh How did Rabbi Meir study Torah? Gamar milashon gemara. Had he studied Torah mipumeh from the mouth of Aher. Aher again, instead of giving him a name, the rabbis just referred to him as the other one. 
similar today to, uh, well, maybe I'm the wrong age group, Voldemort, right? The other one. Anyway, don't we have this statement, which Rabbi Yohanan, ultimately speaking, made, basing himself on Pasuk and Sefer Malachi, ki sifte kohen yishmeru da'at v'torah yevakshu mipihu ki malach Adonai sevaotu. The statement seemingly in Malachi is that the individual you turn to to receive Torah from is an angel. I don't know about you, but I personally have not encountered any angels, but I've nonetheless studied Torah and received Torah from others. As a result, the question is, what's this referring to? You're turning to the Kohen, who ostensibly is the one who's teaching the Torah. He's a Malach, Amaresh Takish, Rabbi Meir Kera, Ashkach, Vidarash, and so forth. But the, the question specifically over here is that Rabbi Yohanan's derashah is the only individual you're studying Torah from, the only individual from whom you can receive Torah is if it's a Rav Hadome le Malach. It's only if it's a teacher who is similar to Malach. If the teacher is not similar to a Malach, if the teacher is wrongful in their acts and their thoughts, you should not be mivakesh Torah mipihu. As a result, the Gemara questions, how is it possible that Rabbi Meir was studying Torah, was accepting Torah, was continuing the Torah, which he received from Aher, that's no Malach Hashem Sevarot. That's the question of the Gemara, just stated briefly and succinctly. The question is, we have a tradition from Rabbi Yohanan, this Pasuk in Malachi is instructive. It prescribes the way in which you choose your teacher. Make certain that your teacher is like a Malach Hashem Tzavakot. But Elisha ben Avuya was anything but that. How did Rabbi Meir study Torah from him? So the Gemara describes a derasha that Rabbi Meir must have made with regards to contradiction from Pesukim. And ultimately speaking, answers, if you take a look four lines down, Lakashya, the end of the line, Habigadol. That, for our purposes, is the most important part. And that's what the Gemara distinguishes between the type of student. Is the student of this teacher a gadol? Or alternatively, is the student of this teacher a katan? Not with regards to age, but rather with regards to maturity of mind. Is the, is the student someone like Rabbi Meir who can listen and almost like a sieve be able to distill and to distinguish between the words of Elisha ben Abuya, keeping those which are appropriate and doing away with those that are not? Or is he a katan, someone who's inexperienced, an individual who's not able to discern and to distinguish? That's the Gemara's punchline. The Gemara goes on to give different descriptions and determinations with regards to the Bimeir and Elisha ben Avuya, but that's the key line, which means to say, learning Torah from an impure source, if we were to just read the words of the Gemara here in source number one, it goes as follows, make certain that you're studying Torah, that you're receiving Torah from the appropriate source. What's the appropriate source? An individual, in the words of the Gemara, who's like a Malach. How do we determine what's like a Malach? beyond my pay grade, but we'll try to figure that out. You look at the individual, you look into them, you listen to their words, you determine their own character traits, their attributes, their belief, and so on and so forth. What about Rabbi Meir and Elisha ben Avuyah distinguishes the Gemara between the type of student if you're a more mature-minded student, also hard to determine this, then it's permitted, quote-unquote, to endeavor in study with that individual who's the impure source, the Rav Shesarach, if you're a katan, inappropriate. Harambam, surprisingly, in source number two, and by extension, Shohan Aruch leaves out that distinction between katan and gadol. 
Harambam and Perek Dalit, the very onset of Perek Dalit, Vechot Tamu Torah, states unequivocally, it's forbidden to study and receive Torah from an individual who is not a fulfilled individual with regards to their piety and fear of heaven. There's a rabbi, a teacher, a mentor, who's not on the righteous path. Even if he's an individual, he's very bright, very smart. Uh, people are dependent upon their knowledge. You can't, you're forbidden to study from that individual, receive from him. Uh, until he changes his way. Shenei cites this pasuk. Amru hachamim im harav dome le malach Hashem svaot Torah yivakshu mipiu im lav al yivakshu Torah mipiu. If that individual is like that angel pasuk in Malachi, if the kohen is uh, embodying the angelic quality traits, study Torah with them. If not, don't. Harambam conspicuously leaves out the distinction between katan and gadol. Everybody notices this. Shohan Aruch, by extension, just cites the words of Harambam. But wait a second, that left open seemingly zero room for study from any source other than, quote-unquote, an angelic teacher. That's a fascinating and hard-to-digest statement, especially because the Gemara made that distinction. The Gemara explained that was Rabbi Meir's opinion. Generally speaking, <coughs> we follow Rabbi Meir's opinion. How is it? Why is it that Harambam leaves it out? All the Mefarshim debate this Lechem Mishneh initially suggests, well, only Rabbi Meir is a gadol. You, me, anyone else, we're off. Oh, we can't consider ourselves a gadol. You think that you're going to study with that individual, receive Torah from them, and be able to determine what's kosher, what's not kosher, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Only to be me'ir, nobody else. That's why Haram Bab and Shohan Aruch leave it out. That's what Lechem Mishneh initially suggests. Lechem Mishneh falls off of that. In fact, as is well known, we'll read it a little bit later, Maran HaChidah and others point out, but wait a second, if that's Haram Bam's approach to the matter, not sure if you've opened up to the guy, to Moren Vuchim, but he had, he has a famous statement in his, in his Shemuna Perakim. He says that you're supposed to be mekabele taimet, mimisha amaro, you're supposed to accept truth from any source. Uh, if it's only to be Meir, is it to be Meir and Harambam? So some do suggest, yeah, it was to be Meir and Harambam. That's the Gadol we're talking about. Difficult to digest and to accept as well. Lech Mishneh instead suggests this was one res- resolution in the Gemara, one suggested answer in the Gemara. We don't accept that answer. Generally speaking, it's just you cannot, and of course the question is autobiographically or biographically, Harambam himself seemed to be either studying or learning the words of others who are not like Malach Hashem Sevakot, in which case, more than anything, we're left with a strong and severe statement in our halacha books with regards to who you're allowed to quote-unquote study Torah with. That's the statement. The statement is only from the verified, pure source, anything else, regardless of who you are, unless... Quote unquote, you're like Haram Bam. Unless, quote unquote, you're to be Meir, it's off bounds. It's out of bounds. You're not allowed to involve yourself. Or Hayim HaKadosh, it's, it's quoted widely in source number four. Rabbi Hayim Ben Atar very clearly and unequivocally states, Hanachon Latetam Laram Bam. It's here in Devarim Perek Yod Bet. Hushosover Shebizman Hazet, at the very least today. You cannot and would not determine amongst any one of our people, any person alive today, that you're of the level and the stature that you could be like Rabbi Meir. Inappropriate. I pause for a second to ask, therefore, whether 
I don't know, let's call it this, whether the um, long-standing, now I'm called tradition, but practice of many God-fearing Jews of either studying Torah from sources that are impure or alternatively receiving chokhmah from other sources, if that's out of bounds, if that was all is inappropriate according to Harambam. I ask as well biographically how Harambam, unless we distinguish and we determine that he was like Rabbi Meir, was able to do this as well, That's the question I'd like to develop together with you from my introduction. You might already be able to figure out the direction over here, but first, with regards to its applicability to us, call it today, in the last few decades, to the best of my knowledge, the place where Chacham Avadya Yosef best deals with this is one that, again, two weeks in a row, is Nogea to our community. In source number five in She'elot Teshubot Yabi'a Omer Helek Zayin Yoredi Asiman Yotet, he's responding to a question which was posed to him by Hacham Yosef Raful. Rabbi Raful was writing about an individual, he says, who's a rabbi in our community who teaches in a conservative uh, rabbinical school. Of course, he's referring to Rabbi Faur, alav hashalom. And he says, is it appropriate for him to be teaching in our community? If I'm not mistaken, this is Shabbat from 1985, which is the very end of his involvement in JTS. Mark Shapiro, just for the fuller picture of this matter, in his Kuntres, in his small pamphlet on Saul Lieberman, um, deals with many of the t- and issues with regards to how the rabbis and the community at large dealt with Rabbi Faur at this time period. My objective is not to take a stance on that. My issue is not on that. It's rather to address Hacham Ovadia Yosef dealing with, maybe politically involved as well, but dealing with an issue in which, and the extension is not simple either, to argue that it's not simple, that was his angle, that since he's teaching in, quote, an impure institution, that for some reason determines the individual's character, not simple either, but not my issue specifically for you to, right now. It's rather to notice Hacham Yosef working through these sources and dealing with them in a contemporary, through a contemporary lens. He's talking about today's day and age. He's pointing to that Gemara, to those words of Harambam, to Shohan Aruch, and as a result, suggesting and writing, you should know it's very important. On a halachic ground, not only on a pietistic, on what you should do emotionally and so forth ground, it's very important halachically to determine who is teaching you, who's teaching in your institutions, who you're studying Torah from. He goes through many of the sources we just mentioned, Lechem Mishneh, he cites as well Shach, he quotes Or HaChayim HaKadosh in the second paragraph here on page two, he quotes from Maran HaChida, Maran HaChida, whom I mentioned to you earlier as well, deals with, he quotes in turn from Rivash, Harambam himself, how's Harambam studying such a fashion? And ultimately speaking, the punchline for our purposes in the bottom paragraph, vidon mina ve'oke be'atrin. You should deal with this and judge accordingly and apply over here. Kishamati. He concludes, and again, this is he's talking about hearsay at this point. Sounds like Hacham was not knowledgeable with the personality with Rabbi Faur on a personal level, but he writes, Shamati mipi talmid talmidei hachamim mufakim sheshameu mipiv ra'ayonot v'ashkafot. He says, I heard from people who heard from him 
bad thoughts, inappropriate vantage points of philosophical and ideologically flawed matters. And he says, and you should know, Rav Moshe Feinstein wrote very fiercely and, uh, and strongly against him as well. And if you move down to three lines from the bottom, his suggestion, Hacham Vadia Yosef to Rabbi Faur, therefore is, Tilot, Lakel, and so forth, Shelo Alman Yisrael, maybe it's Tehilot, Lishmo Barach. I don't know, it's, it's, it's thankful to God that we are not an orphan society, we're not widowed. Yesh b'mahane kotshechem, you have in your community in Brooklyn, tamidei hachamim ashe yirat Hashem hi osaram, v'imam oz v'tushiyah, l'horot la'am, et haderech ashe yelichuba, v'et ha'ma'asay ashe ya'asun, you have many other qualified rabbis, and as a result, appoint them in his stead. That's the punchline of hacham vadya Yosef. Again, I remind you and I say very clearly, this is not, I'm not subscribing, I'm not unsubscribing. I rather pointing out because he, Hacham Avadya Yosef's approach to this general matter will be somewhat of a litmus test for the direction of this class, for the proposed direction over here. But his determination in that case, according to his understanding, whatever it was fully and completely was, we need to be very careful, scrupulous with who our teachers are, and as a result, I'm uncomfortable on a halachic grounds, you write, in accepting this person as a teacher, as a rabbi that anyone should be studying with. If we were to stop and pause there and ask the following type of theoretical question, would someone like Hacham Avadia Yosef would someone like him, therefore, engage in reading books that are outside of, quote, the purview of traditionally accepted Torah? What I mean by that is, not books that are per se not Torah, but written by someone who maybe was engaged with wrongful, objectively wrongful thoughts. Would he open such a book? Would he quote from such a book? We would imagine at this juncture, absolutely not. He would say, Lo Alman Yisrael. He would turn to us and say, You have many other books. He had thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of books. Maybe I should stay away from that book or this book because there's problems with this book or that book. That seems to be his strong stance on this matter. Yes, doctor? He's the Gadol. Or Hayim HaKadosh was not, and he is. All right. All right. If you say, if you say so. But you know, I, okay. So let me go in a different direction. Would he be the one suggesting to you and to me that we could read these books? So you'd say no, unless he determined that the individual was kosher. It's not about the content. Elisha ben Abuya, we're accepting the content was kosher. The individual, the personality, was unkosher. So it's less about the content. He can't develop the content. He could develop the personality. But if we're talking about someone that even he, let's say, right now we're speaking theoretically, would say is a wrong individual. He had some objectively wrong philosophical, ideological emunah issue. We'd imagine he'd say off bounds. Stay away from it. He certainly would not. I'm asking right now. I'm asking right now. He hasn't done that for us yet, right? All he has said to us, Yosef, all the sources we've been reading are very clear. No separation. Personality and Torah. You're, you're, you're ahead of me. You're, I mean, you're behind because it was my introduction. But uh, personality and Torah is the same. Unless you're a Gadol. Who's Gadol? It would be Meir. 
maybe Harambam. But we're not going further than that. Maybe you'll extend to Hamvadia Yosef, but not me. All right, that definitely not me. Uh, so that being the case, I, I pause for a second. I mean, with the theological, with the formal conservative, I'm not familiar with JTS is conservative. It's so not, as well, you're making diukim on what I warned you not to do. I'm not on the specifics of that case. I'm on his punchline, and I don't, I'm not even subscribing to his punchline. I just want to know, didn't they allow a lot of orthodox rabbis to teach in those environments? They did, but it's not my issue right now. Uh, but th that being the case, I now take a step forward or to the side and I remind you of what we began with and I give you a few examples other than those which we began with and that is, can we and should we in appreciating and understanding the way Torah has moved and does develop from being, quote, once upon a time an absolute oral tradition Go back to the time of Mishnah, for example, the initial stages of Gemara development, when matters were not so much written down, but rather transmitted and taught, should we distinguish, and we do, as I'll point out to you in a moment, between those time periods and today when Torah is written down? Why would we distinguish? For what reason and how will that have bearings on us? First and foremost, precedence for distinguishing. For example, in source number seven, Shelo Teshubot Binyan Sion. Binyan Sion was written by Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger. He was uh, one of the main rabbis in Germany several hundred years ago. And his claim is that this idea of being more halacha bifne rabo, of determining law in the presence of your rabbi, and this is not the only on this, again, in our class called The Written Words of Halacha, part three. I was, I was very much tempted to call this class The Written Words of Halacha, but it would have been part six, and I thought nobody would come because they'd say we don't remember part one through five. Now, you don't need to remember one through five, but, you know, it would just... You would think you did. Anyway, I mean, because this is, it's just another written words of halakha with a new vantage point. Anyway, over there, so his suggestion is we don't have such a halakha per se in its historical uh, sense. Uh, today, uh, since we don't study Torah from one primary source, we rather develop it from books. We study from books. We are encyclopedic, perhaps, in our approach and knowledge, but so much so that it's no longer just an oral tradition from one rabbi, a single teacher. The Rav Muvhak model may have been lost to the extent that there's a discussion and debate as well. Harambam's posek lahalacha, based on the Gemara Masechet Mo'ed Katan, if a Rav Muvhak, Muvhak means primary, means most important, passes away, the student is supposed to rend his or her clothing. They're supposed to do kiri'ah, much as if you lost a relative. Is that relevant today? There's always a debate. If the Gadol Hador, how do we determine what a Gadol Hador is, and so forth, passes away, is that a Rav Muvhak? The claim of most poskim is no such thing any longer. We don't have Rav Muvhak. You want to know why not? Several reasons. Number one, you had your rabbi in first grade and a different one in second and a different one in third. You don't have one who taught you through. Was that always the reality? I'm not certain, but we have books today. And books, as a result, have transformed the landscape of Torah and Halakha. Moving forward along these lines, in source number nine, I, I, this is always the flip side of it, so you say, so things are more lenient. Now that we have books, life is easier. In Shevut Yaakov, that's Rabbi Yaakov Reicher, another German rabbi who lived a little bit before um, Rabbi Etlinger, as well in Germany. So he makes the following audacious and bold claim. He says, well, since we don't have Rav Mufak any longer, why not? Because we learn it from books. Oh, don't think you lost the idea of being more halacha bifne rabo. Now, 
before you issue a Pesach Kalacha, you better look into every book that you own. Since they're all your rabbis, it means if you have neglected the words of one of your rabbis, meaning your books, you have violated the Isur of being Moreh Halacha Bifnei Rabo. You have the book on your bookshelf. It's cute. It's a nice claim, Elliot. It's saying, don't be so quick to say, oh, now this is democratic society is open to me to determine whatever. No, 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 one second. We didn't make it easier on you. We perhaps made it harder on you. But for our purposes specifically, I'm returning you to the question of or, or to the issue of once things are written, we have an altered reality. In source number six, Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechiel, was a very important uh, person in our tradition. Shohan Aruch, for example, as we've mentioned on more than one occasion, chose his top three Bedin, who had already passed away, three rabbis to determine halakha based on them. He's trying to codify law. He takes Rif and Harambam, and then the latest being Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechiel, and the majority of those opinions will determine the halakha. Rosh is one of our top three then, uh, specifically others, but specifically Rabbi Faur was very not unhappy with that. Rosh has an interesting background, whereas Rif and Harambam were strong Sfaradim from beginning until end, whether in Spain or in the Middle East or in the, or Northern Africa. Rosh maybe ended in Spain, but he began in Germany, and his end in Spain was not a happy ending. He didn't love the society or the culture. He was always embedded in his Ashkenazic upbringing. Regardless, Rosh is very important, and he makes the following claim, and for the Sofrim amongst us, I'm sorry, but his claim in source number six, it's a well-known claim, is that this mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah, which is a mitzvah in the Torah, seemingly, in the eyes of the rabbis, it's from that pasuk at the end of the Torah, ve'ata kitvu lachem et hashira hazot, ve'lamedat b'nei Yisrael, sima bo'otneim, and so forth, that pasuk teaches us the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah, says Rosh, and there's a debate, is he saying it's no longer a mitzvah per se? Or is he extending the mitzvah? But at the very least, he says, Today, you want to know what the mitzvah is to you and me? Write humashim. Purchase gemarot. Have a big library. That's your fulfillment of the mitzvah. So maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm hurting the sofrim, but I'm helping the booksellers because the mitzvah according to Rosh, in a day and age where we now produce written words and it's no longer spoken, it's no longer just Torah shbikhtav, humash, a sefer Torah which we open to to study, in the written realm of Torah and halakha, it's altogether different realities. Books are the way we fulfill this mitzvah. Why do I mention to you these several sources to bring you on that line of thought of now distinguishing between once upon a time, quote, when it was all oral, to a day and age like today, like the last several hundred years, where we have a printing press spanning back some six, seven hundred years in the Hebrew world, Furthermore, in the English and in, in, outside of the Hebrew written world, but what I want to make the point to you is we need to now determine and decide does the issue that we've been narrowly addressing apply to the book? of an individual who's an impure source. What the Gemara refers to as Elisha ben Avuya, refers to an individual who is teaching and speaking to the Bimeir. What I want to address now is, if there's an individual but wrote a book, you've never met him, or at the very least you're not meeting with him, you're just reading from his or her, her book, does this law of harav hadomela malach, does this tradition of the mentor needs to be fitting in order to study with them apply today? Right. So, I, yes, sir. Uh, 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 Shalom, we are got to where he is because uh, 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 the, the stories of the Gemara that he came in, they found in this poem, 
secular product, secular books, he's mixing it. He got where he is because he was reading secular things and mixing it with the Torah. Where so Musa makes Obviously, the, I gotcha, Musa makes the bold and strong statement that this would apply even to the writings. That's what you're suggesting. Right. If you're saying Elisha ben Avuya, uh, surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, I'm going to go in a different direction here. But hang on. I, I will bring you support. I'll, I'll, I'll bring a few Ashkenazim who agree with you. You'll, you'll, you'll be all right. Um, but what, what I will suggest, though, nonetheless, is, is, is as follows, is perhaps we need to distinguish. And I'd like to develop that with you and then, and then move it in a direction that you'll see. I think, I'm quite convinced, Hacham Ovadia Yosef, uh, from his own writings, from his own revelations about himself, is clear he's on this line of thought as well. Okay, so let's take up for a moment, let's go back to that pasuk. The Gemara in Masechet Hagiga was citing this pasuk from Malachi. It's in source number 10. Kisifte Kohen Yishmeru Da'at. The lips, the lips of the Kohen, I repeat, the lips of the Kohen Yishmeru Da'at will safeguard Da'at. Uh, hard word to define. We've been talking about it in the Gemara this past week. But okay, let's call it knowledge. And get instruction from his mouth. Second time, mention of mouth. The Kohen, who's the teacher, is with his mouth spreading that. Says Rashi, you should know, the Pasuk says, by Levi, Pasuk says at the end, Moshe talking about Levi, who are going to be those who spread Torah. They're going to be the ones who instruct others. Again, the Pasuk describing the Kohanim, the Levim by extension, as those who will spread the Torah. Be careful with which Kohen you listen to. Be careful with which Kohen is speaking to you. Should I, am I overreading the speech at this juncture? I think not. Uh, along these lines, a source that I have always been fond of, in source number 12, this is Rab Tzadok of Lublin, who's an important Ashkenazic thinker about 130 or so years ago in his book, Prisadik on Bereshit, he suggests, and there's much more to be said about this, but he suggests Moshe versus Aharon with regards to typology, personality, Moshe, Torah Shibichtav, Aharon, Torah Shibalpeh. What does he mean by that? Moshe brings Torah Mina Shamaim and gives it to the people he embodies, as Eliot Shammah will develop for you. He's the man of God. He's the Isha Elohim. What do you mean? We've had this conversation many times. He's the individual who gives forth Torah Shbikhtav, God's word. That's it. He hands that over. There's no veering. There's no in-between. That's what it is. Direct and straight. Prophecy. Vision. That's Moshe. Aharon, in contrast, is the Sifte Kohen. He's the individual who, with his mouth, Torah Yivakshu he's describing, he's determining, he's interpreting Torah. He's the embodiment, quote-unquote, of Torah Shbalpeh. Look no further than Parashat Shimini, where Aharon creatively has seemingly his own interpretation. Tahalacha, Moshe gets angry at him after the death of his children, and Aharon explains himself. That's the first act of Torah Shbalpeh. That's the Kohen from whom we're studying Torah should we therefore distinguish? What would the angle, what would the reason to distinguish between a book and a person you're listening to be? Maharal, first and foremost, makes the claim explicitly in source number 13 in his Nitiv Olam, Nitivot Olam, in his Nitiv HaTorah. If you look on the second line, Desham Amar Lomed Mipiv V'yeshlo Hitabkarevut What's the issue of studying from the impure source? The connectedness. 
the closeness to that individual. When we get close to a person with flawed character traits, any psychologist, any person in this world with open eyes and heart will tell you there's a danger inherent in learning from their ways. Perhaps we can contrast that to when I'm reading their words. When I open the book and I develop it on my own, if the words can stand apart from the personality, I can perhaps develop that from the static world of written word. When it's a personality with the charisma, with the inability to distinguish and to discern, that and specifically that is what the rabbis forbade. In source number 14, Tosafot, Masechet Hagigah, as they're dealing with a contradiction from the Gemara, Masechet Mo'ed Katan, Tosafot reveals the issue of learning from the impure source. Look at the words I bolded them, the Haishinan, the fear is, Dilma Mimshache. The fear is perhaps will be following that personality. You follow a personality, you don't become attached to a text per se. This is not me, it's not Maharal, it's not even the next sources, but it's been repeated many a time. Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach is reported in source number 15 as making this diuk. He says that if you look carefully in the words of the Pasuk, as I mentioned earlier, the Pasuk talk about Sifte Kohen. They talk about Torah Yevakshu Mipihu. The issue with this impure source is when I'm involved with them in an intimate way, in the historical method of transmission of information, I'm studying with them, I'm learning from their way, their way. says Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Orbach, that pasuk is really talking about not just getting information from a mentor, but learning a way of life. That, and specifically that, is where be very careful who you choose to be that individual. The Mishnah Masechet Sukkah talks about Ve'alehu lo yibol, the pasuk at the beginning of Tehillim, which describes the Ashrei Ha'ish, the individual you want to be with. The Alehu lo yibol, even the leaves won't wither. Leaves, afilu sihat hulin shal tamideh hakamim is important. Even the simple chatter of an important individual is something I can learn from. That's when I'm dealing with the individual as a person. That's when I'm engaging with them, when I'm training them when I'm accompanying them, that's where this care and severity of Harav Hadomela Malach specifically is relevant. Rabbi Mazuz, he should live and be well. Of Yeshivat Kisera Hamim in this Kobetz in Vayan Shemuel in Helek Dalid in Kuntres Torat Moshe on page Lamid Gima. This was cited in the book. I forgot the exact name of Professor Spiegel. That's how I, how I uh, discovered this. I don't know every one of these Kobetzes or anything along these lines. So he, he suggests make a diuk in the words of Harambam and the Gemara. The Gemara's first question. On source number one was in Aramaic means the mouth of. The specific issue of the Gemara is how did Rabbi Meir learn from the mouth of Elisha ben Avuya? It doesn't say how does he learn Torah from Rabbi Meir, from Elisha ben Avuya. It's how did he learn it from the mouth. He's Medayek in the words of Harambam in source number three as well. The words of Harambam over there are who and what can you not do if you look at the words and so forth en mitlamedimimenu. It doesn't use the word of en lomdim Torah en mitlamedin. You can engage in the dialogue of Torah. It's the personality, it's the person, it's the individual, it's the emotional bond which is most dangerous then. It's not per se the body of thought. 
is that fully accepted? First and foremost, dissenting view is Musa. Secondly is, in source number 17 and source number 18, I love you, source number 17 and number 18, Shevet HaLevi. Shevet HaLevi, his name was Rabbi Vosner, passed away just a couple years ago. Rani, you have a good connection to, had a good connection to him, whether you know it or not. You do know it. Yes, Rabbi Vosner, in source number 17, is Shevet HaLevi, in Chalekim Siman, Kof Memhe does not distinguish. He's dealing with this sort of issue. He says, books from someone whom you know is off with regards to his views, his actions, his something, off bounds. The Gemara says you can't study Torah from them. I don't care if it's from their mouth or from their writings. Inappropriate. In source number 18, he's still alive. It should say Schlesinger, not Schlesinger. His name is Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Avraham, I think, Yafe Schlesinger. I think he's a rabbi in... I forgot exactly, maybe Natanya, somewhere up north. Anyway, it, he as well, following in this strain and strand of thought, is of the opinion that we should not distinction. There are several others along those lines, not working with the trajectory and the direction that we're, that we're developing in this class. They won't discern. They say it's the same thing, inappropriate. This question um, is asked, more, unfortunately, more often than not. As recent as this past year, there were two terrible circumstances with two very different personalities and individuals, one who wrote books for children, another one who wrote books for high-level uh, adults, each of whom, in different ways, was revealed in seemingly unequivocal evidence were engaged in wrongful activity, objectively wrongful, morally, halachically activity. What do we, what should we do with their books? First and foremost, their books probably will go up a lot in value. So, you know, you'll be able to sell them for a lot of money if it's Asur now. But the question is, what do I do with that? I, I my, my, my knee-jerk response, and it, it had a lot of this in mind, was to distinguish. What's your relationship with that person? I'm just speaking myself. What's your relationship with that person? Do you know the person? In other words, I'm reading their words. So can I really, as we're developing this class, distinguish between the personality and their writings? Well, if you're close with the individual, if you spend time with them, if that, maybe you want to distance yourself from them with regards to even their written work, because their written work then is just the embodiment of the personality that you knew. If you never met the individual, if you had little personal engagement ever with them, maybe you can and should have disengaged in that circumstance. Because I can, how do I know their, their I'm not talking from an emotional standpoint. I'm talking about, psych, can you dis? I mean, what, okay, maybe psychologically. Understood, but does that is that reflected in their words? Can we not understand some sort of bifurcated um, essence of life in individuals? I, I, you know, on more than at my son's, my oldest son's berit milah. The only time I spoke at a, only time I spoke at a berit milah, one of my, my children. So I spoke about the following, and it's very much along these lines with regards to being able to emotionally separate. It's that Svaradim and Ashkenazim in Israel even say Barachav Shehiyanu at the berit milah. Uh, how could you say Berachav Shechianu? Well, it's a very exciting occasion. It's one, so I mean, how, how, how much more exciting does it get than being machnis, your child, your son, into Beritoshil Abraham Avinu Ashkenazim uh, outside of Israel will not. Why not? Because there's Sa'ara de Yanuka, because there's pain for the child. Just listen to, not with Mars Abraham, but with any other Mohel, the cry of the baby. 
Ah, you're going to say Shehiyanu, which is for joy and happiness in that moment. So how do you resolve it from the Sfaradi end? How do you explain that? We say the Barachav Shehiyanu. The suggestion I made then, the suggestion that many others in different contexts make is, we can distinguish. I can be very excited about this occasion while at the same time feeling pain. And I can be living in both in the same moment. So I say the same, not easy, but doable. I can read their words, understand the profundity, apply it to myself while knowing this is a decrepit, objectively bad person, quote unquote. Well, that'll, go ahead, Rabbi. No, I was just going to say, you know, now that, like, let's say, the two examples that you gave, there's another halachic detail that needs to be addressed, which is makazik yideo preavara, if you're going to be supporting this person. Indeed. It's not just a question of, if I have the books, can I learn from them? You're right. You're right. Rabbi Benjamin's pointing out that I'm only addressing it from the vantage point of, I already own the books. What do I do with the books? Which is really the way the questions were posed to me, not about buying them. Because the question I, I suggested, you can make a lot of money from selling them or, or you can hold on to them. Um, the question would be furthermore uh, with regard to the royalties they're getting for the books and how you're continuing them, agreed. And not, not fully addressing or at all. My question was even when you keep the books, if you already own them. That's what I'm dealing with. That's what I'm dealing with. Right. What's that? A lot of rabbis have Right. So it's a different direction. That's right. You're consistent, Musa, on this. You're consistent. Yeah. Yes, Musa. What they say in the rabbis watching a video of the individual, like today in that video, because you're getting the charisma, you're getting the, the emotion from the. It's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, he was is watching the video like learning from their mouth, or is it like the written word? I don't have an easy answer. My, my gut is it's the same thing as the personality. Uh, over there, you're being drawn in by their charisma from watching and listening to it. It's a difference of whether you're hearing and watching or reading. And the difference is, is not, so, not so hard to distinguish. Words, when I'm reading, I can process. I'm separated. I'm not but hearing. You know I'm the individual style. And as you're reading, you hear their voice. Okay, so that brings you back to my distinction of whether you knew the individual involved in them or, or were not. Now, yes, Ron. So all these, are, these cases where, where you have a pedophile yes. or something with books, that, that becomes much easier to, to address. But I, I'm thinking of cases like Rabbi Slipkin and Meisel, where they, where they take a pressure. Not simple over there. Not simple of that. Not the same case at all. It's very subjective. That's right. That's right. 100%, Ron. And for that reason, I gave these two examples and I said objectively moral and halachic problems. I'm not there. You're right. There we need to determine is this a uh, apicoris? Is this a, uh, a heretic? And so forth. 100%. Not, not addressing those. And we could separately. But you know, that's, that's, that's you're right. That's a stage before this. That's a stage in determining is it an impure source? Okay, now what I'd like to in the last few moments of the class do is to suggest that Hacham of Adya Yosef is on my side in this claim as well. Why do I say? So again, he had these strong words in that Teshubah with regards to Rabbi Faur. Don't be involved in his opinion. Not subscribing to it per se, but that's his opinion. I'm not, it's not my opinion, it's not our opinion per se, but it's his opinion. Would he therefore extend it to written books from sources that are either questionable or problematic. So I'll warm you up with the first example. The first example we talked about either last summer or two summers ago in the context of a class on shaving on Holah Mu'id without getting into any of the details, we did point out that one of the major sources with regards to this issue comes from a book called Bissamim Rosh. Bissamim Rosh is a book that 
emerged in the mid 18th century in Germany and caught the world, the Jewish halachic world, like wildfire. There was this book which was our same, Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechiel. His name was on the title page. It was ostensibly discovered tishubot from one of the Rishonim. We're always excited. We uncover old medieval sources. Can't get better than that. And here it was, he was suggesting that you could shave on Cholamoyed based on specific conditions along the thought of the contemporary Nodabiud at that time period. And so we talked about in that class, what do you do with a book of that sort when it's discovered, here it is, unequivocally to have been a forgery? And not only a forgery, but from a person who had a specific angle, who wanted to manipulate halacha in his direction. There was an individual, his name was Shaul Levine, or Shaul Berlin, because he came from Berlin, who was found to be the forgerer. He took these words and turned them into, quote-unquote, Rosh's words. What do I do with that book then? Is that an accepted book or not? I say it also, of course, it's off-bounds inappropriate, don't even quote it. All right, let's think about that for a moment or two. In source number 19, this is a book from Rabbi Zevin. Rabbi Zevin we mentioned in the class just a few weeks ago on the Ragachover and the, the uh, detriments of, of uh, being too much of a genius in halacha. In his book, Hamu'adim Halacha, when he's mentioning this book, It was found to be certain that he was the forger, and he should not study this book, you should study the book for that which is written in it, and not from who said it, both Berlin and, of course, Rosh, neither one of them, oh, Rosh didn't write it, and Berlin, not such, an not such a great individual, but a little bit of an openness. Openness? It's Asur, HaRavet Omer LeMalachar, source number one, two, HaRambam, Shohan Aruch. Oh, we seem to be distinguishing. How could you distinguish? Again, I remind you, this is a written work. This is not an individual. We're 250 years later. Source number 20, the Munkachi Rabbi, the Mincha Salazar, in his book, Nimuke Ora Hayim in Siman Nunchet, says, I have an issue that's addressed in the book Besamim Rosh, in the notes written by Berlin, called Kasad Harsina. I won't even raise the issue. I don't even want to address it. Has Shalom, we should even mention that terrible book and that terrible writer. He will not distinguish. That's the Musa approach. That's the approach in which I'm not distinguishing between whether it's a personality whom I can touch and hear, or the book that I'm reading. Hakam Ovadia Yosef in source number 21 in his Shelot Tishubot Yabiya Omer Helek Bet Yore De Asiman Kafdalid is dealing with, and I am not for the moment dealing with this halachically, but I am mentioning it as part of our class how to deal with a person who dies or kills themselves, suicide, because of depression. How should we, should we mourn for them? How do they get buried? Do they get buried in Jewish? And so on and so forth. Would you know it, in Cairo in 1950, Chacham Ovadia Yosef is dealing with this issue, and one of his primary and most important sources is from this book called Besamim Rosh. And Chacham Ovadia Yosef checks himself and says, but wait a second, I know you're going to get nervous, I'm quoting from Besamim Rosh, and I know that the Munkachi Rebbe would say that I'm terrible for doing so, however, my friend Rabbi Zevin, others along the way would distinguish between the individual and his written work and don't accept it as the words of Rosh, it was forged, but don't therefore discredit it even if the writer was disoriented, even if the writer was manipulative, if there's proper words in it, 
If there's something in it that's true, accept it because it's true Torah. How could Chacham Yosef be saying this? In his which we cited earlier, he says, don't go near the evil sources, don't go near the individuals who even have any shemits, any lachluchit uh, of problematic vision and approach to life and Torah. The answer I'm certain is, he will distinguish between the individual who's speaking to you, the Torah Yevakshum Mipiv, the Sifte Kohen, and the written word. The written word has its own determination and distinction. That, read it, decipher, explain, understand. The individual, the personality, Dilmamim Shecheh, as said, stay away from that. Chacham Vadya Yosef is consistent because the Svaradim, historically in another class we did, and this one was not here, I remember it was in the crux and throes of COVID. I remember it was in my living room, this class, and as a result, it was really well prepared because it was lockdown. I actually got to sit with my books for a long time and developed that class. It was the book I called The Mystery of Sefer Hamdat Yamim. There is a book that was published some several hundred years ago, about 300 years ago, a little bit more, uh, called Hamdat Yamim. Full class on the history with regard to this book, but here's the crux of it. It's written by an individual who clearly, unequivocally was connected to, if not an integral player, but probably just connected to a personality whose name was Shabbatai Svi. Shabbatai Svi was a false messiah in 1665 who grabbed hold of much majority, perhaps, of the Jewish world in following him. And ultimately speaking, he converts to Islam and reveals himself as a person who was somewhat or fully off, and this book, Hamdat Yamim, written by a follower, a staunch follower, someone who believed in the, in, the, in the truthfulness of that mission, is a book of practice, of tefillot, and so forth. What do we do with that book? So he said, come on, stay away from such strange stuff. Would you know it, much of, not all, of those tefillot, when we take out a Sefer Torah on the holidays, would you know it, the tikkun leil shivi'i of Pesach, you know, many people stay up and they do a tikkun, would you know it, many, not all, many of the practices that Svaradim throughout the generations have developed are from a book called Hamdat Yamim. Is he the only source on all of them? No, but he has played a pretty integral role in many different developments of halacha. What are we to do? Should we root it out? Because we know with certainty that this book is a problematic book with regards to its personality, not so much with regards to its words. Very parenthetically, or, or briefly rather, I will mention that the tefillah, taking out the Sefer Torah and Shavuot, and I put it in that class at the bottom, has the following words in it. It says, Veharem ateret sevi. And you should raise up the atara, the crown of sevi. Uli, that's a direct, that's overt, that's not even implicit or covert, that's overt, there it is. So if you look in the, our mahzorim, it's in there. If you look in the mahzorim of Rabbi Mazuz, whom we mentioned and we'll mention again, he puts it in parentheses and he writes on the bottom, he says, yesh, misham metim, devarim elu, and something like, daila mevin. Like, you know, maybe you want to leave him out. It's thankfully, I stay up. Generally speaking, the whole night, everybody is sleepy. Nobody, either they're not reading that tefillah, not paying attention to me, I'm able to just skip over those words without provoking anyone's anger or realization that I skipped those words. But I say the tefillah. Why am I saying the tefillah? What's that? Not that we know. We don't, it's anonymously written. We're not certain who, 
tradition had it, it was written by Natan Azati, Nathan of Gaza, who was the prophet of Shabtai Tzvi. He certainly never recanted. Regardless of who it was, we don't know of any recanting. We don't know any Tishuba on this individual. And there's much in it that's overtly Sabatian. Well, what are we to do with such a book? In the book called HaChayim, this is source number 22. Source number 22 is written by a very important Turkish rabbi. His name is Bihayim Palachi. Bihayim Palachi in his book called HaChayim, which is written almost like a ma'arachot. It's written by different letters where he addresses different issues. In ma'arachahe, in erich hasaga, he deals with this book, Hamdat Yamim, and in the broader sense, he deals with his personality, Shabtai Tzvi, and his enduring role in tradition. And he writes the following very bold words. First and foremost, at the beginning, he cites from several important books, quotes from Sefer Bateke Huna, from Bihayim Abu Lafia, and others, that their approach to the book, Hamdat Yamim, was to embrace it even though they knew about, not its curious, about its problematic origins, its source, which was impure in believing in and being staunch follower of this uh, false uh, uh, messiah. He goes onward and he writes, you should know, in our Middle Eastern world, if you look on the other side on page six, he says, you should know, we've always accepted him. We've furthermore accepted truth and realize that everyone and everything has flaws. He says, look no further than Rabbi Akiva who embraced Bar Kokhva, Bar Koziba as being Mashiach. Does anyone therefore say, Rabbi Akiva, scratch him from our Mishnayot, our Torah Baalpeh is flawed? He says, it's no different over here. An individual who is perhaps led astray by a wrongful Messiah. Of course, yesh makom lechalek, but that's his claim. He goes, lastly, he says in the last paragraph, this is the most controversial one, ukvar yesh kabbalah merabot we have a tradition from our rabbis and fathers. We don't talk neither good nor negative about Shabtai Tzvi. He just never happened. As I mentioned in the Shabbat class a few weeks ago, Halabiya Jewry was and is plagued by this Shabtai Tzvi business. You should just know the community at large embraced him. He was, at, uh, he was in Halab in, 19, in 1665, prior to which was his day, of course, the best day, the day on which we did all the sins, L'shem Shamayim. And he was in Halab and we begged him, as per the testimony, to stay with us for that Shabbat and stay with us through the week. We wanted to be together and as close as we could to the Mashiach in our eyes. The majority, if not the entirety of Halab was drawn by him. The rabbis, Rabbi Shalom Olenyado and others, became followers of his. There's a Harari name in there as well. I don't know if it's yours. I don't know if it's mine. I don't think it's either. Rabbi Yitzhak Harari, it's the other. I know which Harari family. Maybe we're all related, though. I was also. So there was a lot of followers, a lot of things that stayed and persist. We could discuss them in that class and otherwise, but... That all being the case, I stop for a second. I ask, what's someone like Chacham Ovadiah Yosef going to say about this? How's he going to approach? I bring you back to what he told us about the individuals teaching in this conservative universe and conservative medical school. Stay away from them. He's going to embrace this book. He's going to stay away from this book. He's going to be for sure, right? Like the Munkacher Rebbe who's consistent in source number 23. In his Hamishama Amarot, he says, can you believe it? I saw this Svaradi, quote my words, quote unquote rabbi. I read this book called HaChayim. You know what he said? That we have a tradition to stay away from talking positively 
or negatively about Shabbat Tzvi, Asfaradim. It's pretty much what he says. Asfaradim. They believe in their rabbis too much. Along those lines, I, I think, if I remember correctly, he says at the end, he says, "Hashafti lehatziktzat et harav hagaon zal baal sefer kol hachayim." Three lines from the bottom. Lihiot hasfaradim biyamenu betivam rubam nimuche hasecher. He says, "Sfaradim, they're idiots." No hin lehit patot lahamin lechol davar. They just believe everything. Alken hisiyam avonoshma gam likdolehem rabbanehem. They therefore they gave into their rabbis on this nonsense. Uh, now maybe not with that severity, but Chacham Vadya Yosef is sure he's going to agree with that. He's going to stay away from the book Hamdat Yamin before Chacham Vadya Yosef in source number twenty-four in the book Hashem Nisi Helik Bet in Siman Nunal. I've just published about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, actually, at that time period in COVID, that's that's why I decided to do the class. I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. I have to hang on, hang on. Oh, who, the Munkachar Abbey? Why does he quote the Munkachar Abbey? It was important. Men Chasalazu was very important. Uh, why does he quote, uh, or does he quote, Hamdat Yamim? We'll have to address in a second. Uh, Hashem Nisi here in source number 24, Rabbi Mazuz writes prolifically about this matter, develops it as we did in that class at Grant, and his Sikum Davar, if you look, Sof Davar, the last two lines, Lidivreha Kol Baal Hamdat Yamim Nilkad Beshabtaut. It says, first and foremost, let's, let's as, as I did from the onset, let's, let's admit to the fact. This, this author was a Sabatian. Uh, no question about that. It, was, it used to be, maybe he wasn't, maybe he was, maybe he was. You can, says, says Rabbi Masus, read the book, you'll notice it. Even you and I would notice it. But we have a minhag. We say his tefilot. Uh, we read the ones that don't have problems with them. In the book, he writes that in Halab, they used to do a specific tefilot. He says they left Halab. He was in South America. He says, I know the Syrians in New York. They stopped saying a lot of those tefilot. He says they were some of those tefilot, which we began to stop saying, were from Hamdat Yamim Mitam. I forgot. From a secret reason, we stopped saying some of those prayers. He's referring to this, but we still say many of them. Says Rabbi Mazuz, and especially in Israel, you go into many synagogues in Israel, they have a whole lot more of his tefilot. I mentioned this at a different juncture, maybe in that class. I remember sitting next to a Hazan once in, in, a different, in a synagogue in the community on Rosh Hashanah. I says, look at this good thing. I said, what's that? He says, Hamdat Yamim, you should read it. I said, I have two versions of it, but you're reading it on Rosh Hashanah here now. Like, he said, what's the problem? I said, no, nothing, enjoy it or whatever. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it per se, but can you imagine? We're dealing with a Sabatian. He continues, and with the proper things we teach, Yosef, though you're going to draw the line, right? In source number 25, in his Hazon Avadan Arbata Aniot, in the introduction, he says, He says, I made, I did not hold back in the writing of these laws on Avelut, on the four fast days, rather, um, from bringing the words of Hamdat Yamim, even though. People have all sorts of negative claims about him. Even though people have cast aspersions against him, we've accepted his words of halacha. Really? You've accepted his words, but you won't? The rabbi who went to teach in the conservative university, in conservative uh, rabbinical school? I would suggest again, and this wraps us all up, 
that, this, that his approach, much along the line of the trajectory of this class, is to distinguish. When we're dealing with, at the onset of this class, learning Torah from an impure source, the specific fear, the specific issue in the eyes of the rabbis of Rabbi Yohanan more specifically is is the study of Torah from the mouth of Elisha ben Abu Yaseh. The rabbis said, Rabbi Meir, how's it possible? You're hanging out with him? You're learning from his ways? You should know you're supposed to choose a mentor, not just based on their knowledge, but based on their approach to life. You're supposed to be inspired through their character, through their attributes, not just their mind. That, and specifically that, is the fear. That's not to say there are no fears in addressing other books. As Dr. Glazer said earlier, we want to make certain that the book is a kosher book with regards to what's written in it. But the author of the book, per se, even someone like Hacham Vadeh Yosef, who's strong on these, staying away from the person, the writings of that individual, the written words of halacha, the development of halacha as we have it, from a time in which it was fully and completely oral, ironically brought us, or, 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 or maybe predictably brought us in different directions to the extent that I would suggest, based on our development of this, based on our realization of Hacham Vadya Yosef's treatment of Bissamim Rosh, based on the Svaradi acceptance and maybe embrace of this book, Hamdat Yamim, based on our general picture of what the issue specifically at play is, that when it comes to the written words over there, we look at everyone and we say, be careful distinguish the words, assuming they're kosher words, from the personality. When it comes to learning with the person, no way of doing so. Over there we would say, only if he's a malach Hashem sevaot. In short, we developed, hopefully, through this course, another direction wherein this development of halacha from being an oral tradition to being, ironically, one which is written has therefore affected not only the method with which we study, not only the way in which we treat the people uh, who teach the Torah, but specifically and narrowly for this class, the care and precision or lack thereof that's necessary when studying the words from books. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.